0: I'm your moderator today. Uh, A couple of housekeeping things. Please turn off your cell phones. Please put your 11 cents in the... 11 cents. (laughs) Try again. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) $11 (laughs) in your basket and have somebody at your table count it. Um, We are grateful for uh, the people from Shaw and and other places that assist us in this, the university and so on, and always grateful to uh, Country Kitchen Catering for the food, which I'm sure will be a a good meal today. It's ham and scalloped potatoes, apparently. Uh, And so uh, we... We, uh, we're going to, as you know, many, most of you know, or many of you know that we have half an hour for each section, half an hour for David to speak, half an hour for you to eat and discuss what you've heard and come up with questions, and half an hour for the question and answer time. And they're just setting up another table because this is Leftbridge and there'll be some people coming late, uh, and so we'll have room for them. But isn't it lovely to have so many here on such an important topic? So we've got we've got David here, and so I'm going to give you a little I assume many of you have have read the uh, the brochure. If I could have quiet, I'd appreciate it thank you i I'm used to working with kids that are noisy, but uh, you beat it <laughs> okay. Uh, As you, if you've read the uh, brochure about uh, SACPA today, you'll know that David is in his fourth term as an MLA, and uh, that's a special uh, gift that he's given to all of us as citizens. Uh, He uh, became an uh, MD and and started practicing in the uh, mid-70s. He's done many things, uh, and because you're all capable of reading, I'm sure you can read this if you want more information. Um, He's He's done many things as a doctor, but he's also done many things as an MLA. And because he's concerned about us as citizens and all of us uh, uh, having good health care and concerned about those of us in our community, and some of us maybe here, uh, having mental health issues, uh, he has been working on a, a project and has co-authored a report about, uh, uh, about mental health issues and uh, his concern about protecting uh, that vulnerable group and also concern about how our system uh, is helping them and not helping them and what can uh, be different, what we need to to make some changes for. And so that's a big piece of what uh, David's going to give us today, give us the background and uh, the report and also... N- n- nice, Nicely done, uh, some suggestions about how we can improve it. And that's, that's really important. So, uh, I would ask that you uh, combine with me in welcoming Dr. David Swan.
1: Thank you very much for that kind introduction. It feels like coming home to Lethbridge. Wonderful to be here. Some of you may remember me as uh, uh, an itinerant medical officer back in the uh, late 90s when you lost your medical officer, and I'd been fired from Medicine Hat, so I was looking for work, and somehow we got together for six months or a year. Of course, I worked in Pitcher Creek for a number of years as a family doctor with my wife, Lorreen, who's here with me. She, has, she is really the long-suffering member of the family in my 12 years of politics, and I think she deserves a round of applause more than I do. (laughs) Stand up, love, so they can see you. (laughs) Just as a treat to her, I took her hiking in in Waterton yesterday. We're both suffering a little bit as a result of that, but it's a good suffering. I recommend it. Uh, We were greeted by about uh, two dozen mountain sheep uh, on the front lawns, some deer, uh, and uh, a wonderful uh, cool day, but we didn't get wet. It was a wonderful hiking day. Lots of snow up in the Bertha Falls area, but we managed to get through it without too much slipping and sliding. Well, it's a real honour to be back, and and I, I always like to be reminded and like to remind everyone that we are on Treaty 7 land and that we are all treaty people more and more, and I see this in the provincial government, and I hear it from our federal liberal government, uh, there's a recognition that we haven't yet got to a place of real reconciliation with First Nations, uh, a level of healing, a level of connection, uh, such that we can all feel good about making progress in our relationships and in our mutual health and certainly that's an issue that came up repeatedly in the mental health review that began in June of 2015 and finished up December 23rd in 2015. First Nations play a big part in our in the need for health care and especially uh, addictions issues and both in the criminal justice system and in the health care system and of course in our education system where many of them are struggling to find a place and to find success so I, I Wherever I go, I highlight the need to work together. We got here together with First Nations. There's no way we're going to get out of this except together. It's not us versus them. It's together we're going to find healing. We've got to do that. And we've got to spend more time and energy building connections with our First Nations brothers and sisters. (laughs) I'd be remiss too if I didn't acknowledge that this is a national day of mourning for workers killed on the job. Uh two killed just this week uh, in construction sites across the province and uh, on our review of mental health and addictions listening to Albertans and and to uh, all citizens uh, and organizations and professionals there's a recognition that worksite mental health has been neglected. We have to do better at creating the conditions for more positive relationships, more trust, uh, more flat organizations where it's not top-down orders and and a a little more sense of being all in this together. So workplaces have a lot to contribute to mental health and they do contribute to some of the problems that we see in mental health problems and and addictions so we need to address that. We listened for five months to Albertans uh, and their caregivers and their families. How to improve the quality how to improve timely access to care, and how to spend the dollars better in improving people's mental health and reducing addictions. Those were the three things we look at across the health spectrum. Quality, access, and cost effectiveness of our services. Some of you will be surprised to learn that we only spend 6% of our health budget, 6% of our health budget on mental health. I should say 90% goes to the typical medical conditions. And only 3% goes to prevention in our $19.5 billion healthcare budget. That's, that says something about where our priorities are, unfortunately, and why we're dealing with overcrowded emergency rooms, overcrowded hospitals, and uh, frustration at all levels in our healthcare system. And I would add that Alberta is not unique. This is a similar story across the country. Some areas better than others in certain respects. Health services are available. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm having to use my uh, computer because I didn't understand the technology in the hotel to print. So I'm going to have to just use my computer to comment, to follow my comments. We made 30 odd recommendations uh, as we summarized the. Concerns we heard over the six months, and the challenges of, within the health system, 100,000 plus staff, this is the third largest corporation in Canada, set up seven years ago by a man named Ron Liepert, who had no plans, he just wanted to run the health system like Ford Motor Company. So we have 100,000 staff, many of them on stress leave intermittently. This province spent $190 million on sick leave and long-term disability among our health workers. So when we talk about mental health, we're talking about both sides of the care spectrum, those receiving care by health professionals and health professionals who need care and may or may not be getting it. Uh, The work environment we have to look at in Alberta Health Services. Uh, And as I indicated in my letter to the minister and to the premier, at the very top of the system is the minister and her department giving directions on health care and the big monolith health services, Alberta Health Services on the other side, trying to maneuver uh, all the services and people and technology and buildings uh, into the best and most effective services on the front lines. Unfortunately, they haven't been talking to each other Uh, and they haven't been trusting each other, partly because we've had a system that has not been well planned, and we had a major fallout that resulted in the board members who were supposed to broker the distance between the minister's office and the health services. The board was fired three years ago by Mr. Horn, as some of you may remember. It's quite a dramatic uh, scenario. So suddenly the people on the front lines don't know who's the boss anymore. Is it the minister? who comes out on the news periodically because there's a crisis, or is it the chief executive officer of the health services that's calling the shot? So that's a key issue that has to be addressed if we're actually going to get to more satisfaction within the health system and more efficient and and timely services. Many people were happy with the report. I can tell you that my psychiatric colleagues were not happy with my report. It's the first report of many reports that are saying similar things in the last decade. It's the first report that didn't call for more psychiatrists. And at one level, I feel somewhat apologetic for that. At another level, I say psychiatrists are not going to solve the problems. They are the very last stage where we should be dealing with 80% of people much more effectively so that we're freeing up psychiatrists to deal with the most critical, most uh, serious psychoses and complex mental illness and addictions issues. Most mental distress is associated with stressful life change. I know, I went through a severe depression in the 90s after getting back from a project in the Philippines that fell apart. Fortunately, Lorene was there for me, my family was there, my church was there, my community to some extent, Uh, and I, frankly, I didn't go to a doctor. I was afraid they might prescribe something. I knew I had to work through this. There was a tremendous sense of loss and feeling of failure and all sorts of things that led to a two-year depression, in my case. Other factors that contribute to mental illness, early childhood events that are traumatic, including neglect, unmet physical, emotional needs, a learning disability that isn't diagnosed and the failures associated with the the child's transitions through different grades and and challenges, unstable family situations, family violence, all kinds of issues that need to be identified and managed in a holistic way, in a comprehensive way, uh, even in the school system. Teachers need to play a much bigger role clearly, for early identification of problems and linking the family and the supports up, the parenting skills may be needed, there may be serious behaviour problems in the child, and just putting the child on a medication or talking to the child and the parents one or two times without any long-term follow-up is simply not effective, and it's costing us and it's costing families. There are many good organisations out there beyond the health system as well we are dealing with a health system that's trying to deal with mental illness and mental health challenges, and then a non-health, non-formal health system like the Mental Health Association, the Suicide Prevention Network. You have groups here that are involved with the Distress Line, the Schizophrenia Society. We have social workers and private psychologists that are also dealing with many of these issues very effectively. So, between these two systems, the health sy- formal health system and the 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 systems of of professionals and groups outside the health system, there needs to be a much clearer connection. Because we're all dealing with the same people, sometimes more effectively than others, but if we're not communicating, which we're not, then people fall through the cracks, they get different advice from different places, and they're not getting the kind of results that all of us want. Well, I could speak about a number of problems in the system, such as the lack of consistent education of medical students in mental health and their discomfort now with dealing with mental health issues and their desire to push the mental illness onto someone else because they're not very well trained to deal with mental health and addictions issues. They've admitted that. I could talk about their tendency to prescribe sedatives and antidepressants when they face someone with anxiety and depression. In fact, they may be able to identify problems early, but whether they refer appropriately and whether those referrals get timely interaction with the, int- the individual or the family is another question. Finally, we could discuss the frequent changes in leadership at the top of Alberta Health Services and the lack of consistency and the lack of confidence throughout the healthcare system that leaves many people on the front lines confused, frustrated, and unwilling to make serious criticism or suggestions to improve the system because there's so much uncertainty and tension in the system that people are afraid to add more stress and tension. So we hold the status quo, which is not acceptable. Just adds to frustration and demoralization on the front lines. Well, that's the, the negative side. But I thought maybe we should do something different here today. Maybe we should talk about what's causing all the illness in our society. What's contributing to the high levels of anxiety, depression, and addictions. Let's talk about the increasing numbers of younger people, particularly, who are distressed and seeking help. And again, our First Nations the suffering and dying in that population at five to seven times the rate of our population here. What is it in our culture that is not creating the conditions for healthy families, for healthy communities, for healthy workplaces? How is it that most people incarcerated in our jails are in poverty, have mental illness, or have addictions? Is that the best place to manage people in poverty, with mental illness and addictions? Of course it isn't. And we propagate more complications in those people when we force them into situations that are not helpful, not healthy, and not building new skills for living and working productively. Just referring back to some of the prescribing practices of doctors, why why is it that we are prescribing and these are U.S. statistics, I couldn't find Canadian statistics, in the U.S. 250 million prescriptions per year of antidepressants. One in ten people over the age of 12 are registered as depressed. One in ten. One in five are identified as having anxiety disorders, and that's associated again with the use of sedatives and hypnotics that don't really answer the question, do they? Why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? What can we do to make life more satisfying and productive for you? Without comprehensive assessments of individuals and their families, without appropriate counseling, and without careful follow-up with people to make sure that the wraparound services that are should be there for people in poverty, with homelessness, with uh, family dynamic issues, um, with financial issues, unless we start to address those in a more comprehensive way, we're not going to really get at the root issues and we're going to have people cycling back again and again and again through the medical offices, through the emergency department, through the jails, and I think we know that. So. I think uh, a productive conversation with people who've had a lot of life experience, which I see in this room, this would be a chance for us to share ideas about getting at the root issues that create distress and illness and addictions in our society. I don't say that I have the answers to that, and I don't think we really asked those questions except in a very select uh, set of instances across the province last year. How is it that nearly 50% of children under the age of five in Alberta are delayed in their, one of their five developmental milestones? Physical, emotional, social, learning. How is it that almost half of our children have a delay and they're not involved in any comprehensive early childhood education program? They're staying at home, they may be homeschooled in fact, Uh, Or they may not. They may simply be on their own a good part of the day with both parents working or with one parent herself struggling with mental illness or or to survive. Why in Alberta and perhaps the rest of Canada, I don't know, have we not committed serious resources to early childhood education to make sure that they are stimulated, there are uh, joyful experiences in nature, in in uh, the community, serving others and and learning from others. It's time to confront some uncomfortable truths across the province and across the country. We know from a report of two years ago by our current finance minister, Joe Sisi, we spend seven billion dollars a year dealing with complications of poverty. What could that seven billion dollars do to prevent People from slipping into poverty and the the complications associated with that. Emotional and social problems, criminal justice issues, addictions. Poverty sucks. It really impedes people's ability to live. And self-harm, harm to others when people are under severe distress because of financial difficulties and financial insecurity and food insufficiency... These are critical issues that somehow we haven't been prepared to address. Let me say quickly about this new government, this new Democrat government. It's the first government I've seen in 30 years that is starting to take poverty seriously. 300,000 children. 300,000 children this year will receive uh, family uh, tax credits in Alberta. First time we've had a family tax credit in Alberta. So, I am somewhat elated that we changed the government, tempered a little bit by the loss of Liberal members in the House, of course, (laughs) but, but I like to think I punch above my weight. And, (laughs) and of course we're in a rebuilding mode, but we won't go there. This is a government that I can work with. This is a government that cares about the future. This is a government that wants to do the right thing, not always the political, politically expedient thing. So it's refreshing for me as someone who's been in the legislature for 12 years to actually be able to be listened to and to feel that I can have a conversation with any of the ministers at any time on the issues that I care about. So uh, I give them some credit for that. How's our time? So, we cannot afford to keep increasing spending on health care. We're now approaching 45% of our budget. And we're getting very mediocre results in our health system. I'm speaking generally the health system, but that includes the mental health system. Spending more money will not improve the health system. More psychiatrists, I don't believe, is the answer to improving our mental health system. I said this in 1985 when I was a student at the University of Calgary. Health is too important to leave to doctors. That caused many people to take a second look. Health is too important to leave to doctors. Doctors are okay on sickness, some sickness, some doctors. It's important to be skeptical about everybody that you deal with. Not cynical, not assuming the worst but skeptical. Watch for signs that that person is listening, that they're ordering appropriate tests, that they're discussing with you the options, that they're following the results of their treatments and making changes as necessary in case they're not on the right track. Something like the tragic results this week of a couple of sets of parents and their child. Uh, we We have to raise questions about how we're being managed and how we're being advised and how our condition is progressing or not progressing. Health is too important to leave to doctors. Mental health like physical health is too important to leave to psychiatrists. They have a role to play but we as a society have to start looking at some of the root issues around creating conditions for well-being in ourselves how we take care of ourselves each day, the choices we make, how we reach out to others in our family when we identify issues and concerns and behaviors and emotions that are not moving in the right direction. How we, in the workplace, have honest conversations with our fellow workers to say, how are you really feeling today? It seems like you're under stress. Can we talk? Have you thought about this? We don't very often have those honest conversations in the workplace, and maybe we don't have it enough in our own homes and communities as well. It takes courage to ask people directly, no, really, how are you feeling? Is there something I can help with? And finally, as a society, how do we press our politicians to make better decisions that are in the longer-term best interests of our families and communities, especially those in distress. We see them in our communities. We sometimes avoid them because they have many burdens and they may not be able to communicate as well on those, or they may be simply so down and so out that they don't communicate at all. Well, what is our responsibility as citizens to try and reach out and find out how we can assist? It must be part of the purpose of our lives, part of the purpose of our work, to engage in these conversations and building a healthier environment to work in, to live in, to play in. Uh, If we don't, we're all going to pay dearly, both directly through healthcare costs and indirectly through violence in the community and uh, lack of productivity in our economy. We need to start shifting resources to get upstream as I indicated early on, with families and children at risk to avoid addictions and mental illness. Three factors at least. Learning life skills, ensuring that young people learn life skills and self-care, become emotionally aware, secondly, compassionate and supportive of each other, and thirdly, make sure we provide the basic necessities of life for everybody. The recent uh, Publication, Alberta Views, had a special section on guaranteed annual income. There's evidence across the world that a guaranteed annual income reduces health care costs by almost 30%. If people are secure in their finances and are having a healthy diet, it actually reduces health care costs substantially. Our health system is examining its priorities, and many organizations and individuals will continue to press for these changes. Culturally and socially, we as citizens also need to change the way we're interacting with our society and with our systems. We need to push more. We need to raise our voices more. And we need to include more people in our circle, especially First Nations. Let's talk. Thank you.